When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Ah! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome to another edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And wow, what a week it's been in college basketball. I had a great thrill to be at the Ohio State-Purdue game on Wednesday night for the Big Ten Network, and it lived up to the hype. There's no question about it. That game was something special. Ohio State pulls out the win at Mackey Arena, which I want to get to in a second why I think it's one of the best arenas in the country. And that really changes the narrative in the Big Ten because as we're taping, Purdue has to go to Michigan State on Saturday. Ohio State in first place in the Big Ten. No one, nobody saw that coming when Ohio State uh, had to do with a had, had to deal with a coaching change last June. Thad Mata out, Chris Holtman from Butler in, and Kita Bates Diop is having a phenomenal season after being injured last year. I mean, he's not only right now the Big Ten Player of the Year; he may be in competition for the National Player of the Year with Jalen Brunson, Trey Young, and we could maybe go down the list a little bit of others. Uh, certainly Marvin Bagley's putting up great numbers, but uh, Duke not winning enough games, I think, right now, uh, potentially to put him uh, as the National Player of the Year. Um, so a couple of things I want to get to here. First of all, on arenas, because uh, this ruffled some feathers of some people you know, on social media. Um, I firmly believe it. I experienced it, and I've been there a couple of times. I think this season... Hear me out here. This season, Mackey Arena is the best home court in the country. Now, Purdue has lost once. I think that'll be their only loss at Mackey Arena. But I think this season, it's better than Cameron, better than Fog Allen. Now, if you were to tell me historically where I've been, I would say Fog Allen has ranked number one for me, then Cameron and Mackey. Now, I would argue that Mackey and Cameron, I may flip-flop. I have to say that. I've been at Cameron when it's been crazy loud. It's a total bandbox. I think Mackey Arena is louder. I really believe that. The difference with Fog Allen is, first of all, the rock, chalk, jayhawk. That, like, sort of just gets in your head. And, you know, I think I've lost hearing there as well. Um, but... uh that's an experience. I think they're all great. Uh, we can sort of put them in order, but I'm saying this season, that's what I was stressing. This season, Mac Arena is the best. So just accept that. That's my opinion. That's what I feel. That's what I'm saying right now. In terms of the Power 36, there's going to be a big shakeup. Uh, as long as Virginia can hold off Virginia Tech this weekend, there will be the new number one in the AP poll. 
and my Power 36. Uh, leaping ahead of, for me, Purdue and Villanova, and the AP leaping ahead of Villanova after Villanova was stunned by St. John's. Um, it was really interesting when I had a conversation with uh, Bruce Rasmussen, who's the athletic director from Creighton, who is the chair of the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee, and on Sunday they're going to reveal their top 16. You know, he said there's a consensus, obviously, on the top three. I just rattled them off for you, and after that, wide open. And even though these two teams lost, Villanova and Purdue, uh, the same night on Wednesday night, I don't think that they're going to move off of those lines unless for some reason they fell flat. I just don't think other teams can jump up into the top lines to push them further down. Now, does that mean that I'm going to push them further down in my power 36? I don't know. i got to wait and see. Um, you know, Cincinnati, even though they're not playing the same schedule, uh, they're the one that's right there on the doorstep of pushing into that to that top three. Uh, if one of those teams were to lose again, like let's say Purdue to Michigan State, then Cincinnati and Michigan State would make a huge play to push back into that top three. So I got to see how that all plays out over the weekend. Um, I'll tell you, at the back part of the Power 36, I'm really struggling to put consistent teams up there. And maybe I made the mistake of East Tennessee State and New Mexico State pulling them out. Uh, I'm probably going to have them back in because the teams I had put them put in over them you know, just continue to, to flounder where they win one, lose one, win one, lose one, lose one, win one. So uh, I'm wrestling with how to handle those teams in the back part of that. And I'll tell you, if I'm doing it, you know the selection committee's doing it because their job is much more important than me putting together, you know, a power rankings. And uh, it's going to be interesting, not necessarily on the selection, because I think it's, that's going to sort of work itself out. I think it's going to end up being in the seeding process. That's where the selection committee is certainly going to have uh, the work cut out for them. So uh, a lot to discuss, a lot on our site. Uh, we've got our uh, bubble breakdown that'll be on the site on Friday. Of course, the starting five throughout the course of the week. Power 36 comes out on Monday. Weekly honors on Monday. We've got a couple more weeks of that. Um, and uh, our Skype sessions have been so well received, not just in men's basketball, but in all the other sports that I've been covering. So I really appreciate uh, everyone watching those as well. But I want to get to our guests. I'm going to be joined on the podcast by Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes, who now have become my pick to win the SEC. Washington head coach Mike Hopkins, after their sweep of the Arizona schools last weekend. He's done a phenomenal job since coming over as a Syracuse assistant. And I will just say that, you know, this is all about fit with both those guys. And I wasn't convinced they were a great fit initially. That kind of Barnes was, but I wasn't sure about Hopkins, but they're proving they are. Now, keep in mind, these both these interviews were taped right before their victories, or excuse me, before Tennessee's victory over Kentucky to give them the sweep, and before Washington uh, played at Oregon uh, this weekend. And then I'm going to be joined by Tom Herrian, who's a friend of mine I've known for a long time, long-time assistant coach, been a head coach at Marshall and Char- College of Charleston. His son, Robert, has autism, and he and Pat Scary, uh, who's the head coach at Towson, who has a son as well who has autism, they've done a phenomenal job of raising awareness on Autism Speaks and getting the NABC to be involved. And this weekend in college basketball, you're going to see a lot of coaches wearing the Autism Speaks, uh, the puzzle piece pin on their lapel. So just a shout out to them. And I really want to hear a conversation uh, with Tom and all that he, you know, goes through on a daily basis, like hundreds of thousands of other parents across the country and uh, what he's doing to help awareness in college basketball. So enjoy these interviews. 
And as always, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes and the Vols of uh, a really a, a great season so far. And I think uh, more entertaining and uh, good results are to come this season. They're going to be, I think, in the NCAA tournament, a team that really could go pretty far in March. And it's been an interesting ride so far since coming over from Texas to Tennessee, Rick. And so I just want to talk sort of in general because you've got a team that actually can compete for the SEC regular season title in sort of a, a short amount of time. Uh, what's been some of the key aspects to this rebuilding situation in Knoxville? Well, I think the first one is, uh, you know, we've got a wonderful university and a university that's committed to helping us, you know, do our job. And then assistant coaches, Rob Lanier, Mike Swartz, and Des Oliver, I think have been a huge key. And along with uh, Garrett Maidenwall, who is our strength conditioning coach. And then we've got great other support people. Uh, Riley Davis came with us from um, – Texas and uh, so we just kind of you know I think the staff has a huge huge part because they know what we want to do they knew that coming in they knew the culture that we wanted to build they knew the identity we wanted to put together with our basketball team uh, both offensively and defensively and and so we set out from day one to do that so that's kind of been pretty much the the plan that we've always used and uh, we have been able to recruit guys that uh, a lot of people might not have thought uh, were very good, but I think that goes back to the experience of my staff that they've always been able to go out and go against the grain and do their own evaluation. And uh, we've had guys that have come in here. I think we're still one of the top three, four, five youngest teams in the country. And we know that uh, we put a lot of emphasis on our player development uh, program. And uh, we've been able to recruit some really good young men who have bought into what we're trying to get done. You know, sometimes, and I can speak from experience, that uh, change doesn't always happen when you want it to, but when it does, uh, sometimes it's the best thing for you. And so looking back at your transition, how would you sort of assess the way it worked for you? Well, I mean, obviously, being at Texas as long as I'd been there, in my world, I thought I would finish my career there. I had a chance to work for one of the greatest athletic directors of all time in the Lost Dodge and was there with a lot of other wonderful coaches, Mac Brown, Augie Garrido, you know, John Fields, just a lot of wonderful people there. And uh, uh, so that that part of it, uh, I thought I would be there. But I think uh, God has put me right where he wants me to be right now. I think, uh, you know, he had other ideas. And uh, I think I'm in Tennessee because that's where he put me. And uh, I'm, I'm blessed to be here. And uh, I just think that this is a wonderful situation. You know, we got a fan base. Uh, we got a community that uh, it's been really neat to get involved with and seeing a lot of changes, um, not only with, with with our basketball program, but with inside the basketball program. And this uh, town and this community, Knoxville's a basketball town. I know everybody thinks of Tennessee football, which is it's a huge, huge, one of the, the best fan bases in the country. But this is truly a, a basketball town as well. At any point, because I think this is human nature, if someone, however they want to phrase it, maybe doesn't want you in this position anymore, did it at any point force you to question yourself and say, okay, you know, what do I need to do better? How much do I want to continue to do this before you found the right spot at Tennessee? Well, to be honest with you, Andy, I knew, I mean, this opportunity was available when I started hearing all the rumors and I was told that I was going to be at Texas. You know, I was going to be there as long as I wanted to be there. Then 
within a day or so, things started to uh, switch around. And actually, a week before all that started happening, I'd had contact from the University of Tennessee. And and so I knew that I knew the day that I was at the press conference announcing that, that uh, you know, when I was had been fired at Texas, I knew I was going to walk out the door, get on a plane and head to Knoxville, Tennessee. I knew that. But I go back. I think uh, God is in charge of all of it. I look back at my time there. I love the University of Texas. I think the people that I was there with really for the majority of my career, other than, you know, the last year, year and a half was unlike anything that I'd been through in 15 years, you know, before that. But, you know, when the, the way I saw Delos Dodds, our athletic director, who I think is the, the best athletic director ever, and Mac Brown and was going on it again, I think the writing was on the wall at that point in time, but, uh, the fact is, I've been blessed. God had plans for me to leave there, come here, and uh, once I've left there, I, you know, I haven't looked back. I, I really haven't, and I've been fortunate that had, uh, you know, Rob came with me. Uh, Chris Ogden had played for me a long time. Was here before he left and went back to Texas Tech. And Mike Schwartz, one of my former players uh, at Texas, is on the staff here now. Des Oliver, I've known a long time, and so uh, Riley Davis was with me. Uh, Garrett Maidwall had come to Texas the last couple of years, so we brought a program. It wasn't just me coming. We we really just brought our program. But in terms of looking back, I think you do that every day. I don't I don't think that you ever think you've got a handle on everything. Uh, I, I tell my players, you know, you've got to get better every single day and evaluate what you're doing. And uh, you, you know, I I do that constantly. And yeah, you can go back and look at the what is, could have done this, could have done that. Uh, I don't think I, I could have done anything different to, to still be there as a head coach. I don't think that. But uh, but when you leave, you're always every day assessing what you're doing with your team and your program. You know, you've had some interesting stops, you know, from the grind of the Northeast and Providence to being at Clemson to, you know, to Texas and your success there and getting to the Final Four and now at Tennessee. How much do you evaluate fit? for you, for your family, for the way you want to run things when you assessed where you were going to go next? Well, I, I think home is where your family is. And like I said earlier, you know, my, uh, my son's a missionary and he doesn't live in the country. My daughter uh, does still live in, she and her husband still live in Austin, Texas. But, you know, we're able to see them a, a lot, you know, when we can. I mean, obviously during basketball season, it's a little bit more difficult for me, but my wife is still there. And uh, but for my wife and I, you know, my wife is a graduate of the University of Tennessee. My hometown uh, is, you know, two hours and 45 minutes away at the most. My mom is, uh, God bless her, is still alive at 87. I have two brothers that still live at home with her. And But, you know, you mentioned I've been all over the country pretty much uh, other than really way out west. But traveling, you know, you tra- I've traveled everywhere. But uh, I think in this business, you know, the job is the job. And you get in, you you find out the lay of the land in that area. But once you get on the basketball court, get between the lines or you're starting to build your program, whether you're at Clemson, George Mason, Providence, Texas, Tennessee, you do know how you want to run the program. And, and like I said, the key is for me has always been, I have been just so blessed that God's put so many wonderful people around me with my assistant coaches and players. And uh, it made, it's made it fun. And, and I think, what you're alluding to, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, you know, everybody thinks when you get older that uh, you're not working as hard, all this and all that. And, and I don't think any of that's true of a lot of people. I mean, I've known Jim Beheim and Mike Shazewski and Roy Williams and Tom Izzo and 
I could go on and on. Uh, Jim, uh, I mean, John Beeline, a lot of guys, those guys still work. Oh, I no, mean, uh, and I'm not, no, I wasn't alluding that. I'm saying that I think it's critical. The one thing I think do think is critical when you get older is make sure you feel comfortable in the, in the environment because I think yeah. when we're younger, we're willing to go anywhere. When we get older, we're like, okay, where do I fit? Where am I going to be most effective uh, to maximize my talent? Well, I, well, I think I think this. Yeah, I, I think this. So, I think if you really want to coach basketball, I mean, if that's what you really want to do. I don't know if it matters what level you're really working at. If you really want to coach the game, like say at Texas, if, if an opportunity didn't want to didn't open up or something like that, if I wanted, if I really truly wanted to coach, I would have been willing to coach work at a high school. That's what I because I love I do love coaching. I love being in the gym and I like doing that and. And I think that's true. I think if you got a passion to want to do something, it, you you do it. And now I'm at a point in time in my life where I don't have to uh, worry about kids in school districts and all those kind of things. That you know, my wife and I, and she's always been the most supportive person in my life. You know, she's been willing. She's made every move that I've ever made, and she's been with me. And she was the one the very first day when I told her I like to get into college coaching. She said, well, "Let's go see how get after it and see how we can do it." And so she's the one that's had to sacrifice more than anything. And uh, so to answer your question, if it was something that really wasn't ideal, I'd probably let her make that decision whether or not she wanted to do this because I certainly wouldn't go do any, any of it without her. And one last thing, Rick, about this team. Um, you guys have defended great, and you know, holding teams under 63 points in a number of games, sometimes under you know 50 when you guys won at Iowa State. Uh, you, you've had success in the NCAA tournament into a conference tournament over the last month of the season here, as we get ready to get into postseason, what is it about this team that you think it has the makings to be in a team that could be a very tough out, whether it's in the conference tournament or if you're fortunate enough to be in the NCAA tournament there as well? Well, I think I go back and I think the way you started the interview, what at, at this point, you know, they've had a good year. And the fact of the matter is with uh, what eight games left, I think in conference play, eight games one way or the other swings things can swing it one way or the other. So I think the mindset has to be, how can we improve? How can we improve as individuals? How can we improve as a team? And you look at your team and what you need to do better. You know, I think that we look at uh, our defense. Yeah, we can get better. You know, we, we, we can re- we can definitely rebound the ball better than we're rebounding right now. We can get more consistent with our ball screen coverage. You know, we can get more consistent with our help side defense offensively we can clean up some things where we're not as sloppy with the screen and the uh, passer being engaged. So I think if you keep the mind set that you're going to get better and we've got to continue to get better because if you, if you level out right now, you're not going to, you're not going to be happy when the, with the end result. You're going to, you're not, you're just going to, I have enough respect for this profession and coaches in their league that other guys are going to keep coaching their teams to get them better. And, and so I think that's the key. I think it's, uh, it's really that simple is are you prepared mentally and do you have a mindset that we have to improve every single day? Well, Rick, we appreciate it. And uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. And I know uh, I can see just things are going to continue to get better and better in Knoxville for you, not just this season, but in the years ahead. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate you. Coming up here on March Madness 365, Washington head coach Mike Hopkins. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Washington head coach Mike Hopkins and the Huskies off to a sensational start in the Pac-12, 17-6 overall. 
uh, really still within striking distance of winning the Pac-12 regular season title, which is crazy to think about uh, a couple of months ago. So, Mike, let, a lot to unpeel here. So let's let's first start with this last weekend series against the Arizona schools. Dominic Green with the buzzer beater as the shot gets blocked back out to him. And Noah Dickerson was our National Player of the Week with the sensational weekend he had against the Arizona State and Arizona schools. What about the poise that your players showed down the stretch in that late-game situation against Arizona? What did that tell you? Well, you know what, Andy? It's, uh, you know, they've that's been one of the areas that we've really been trying to focus on. And, uh, you know, we were able to, to pull off a great win against Kansas. And, you know, they made a run. Uh, we were up, whatever, 12 or 13. They cut it to one. And, uh, you know, we came out after that timeout, and we went on a 16-4 to run. And it was like one of those things where, you know, it was like, geez, what the coaches are telling us works. If we slow down and, uh, you know, kind of manage, you know, our execution. And we had to play a tough Gonzaga team and we got blown out of the water. We got, you know, we just weren't used to the consistency of the poise. And so I think our preseason schedule being difficult and winning a lot of close games at home early really have prepared us to have more poise in tough situations. You know, it's interesting what Dominic Green told me. I Skyped with him for NCAA.com, and, and he told me that, uh, you know, there's this misperception about the zone. And you and I have talked for many years, and when you were at Syracuse, said, oh, we'll play zone. It'll be easy. And yeah. he said they found out very quickly that there's a lot more to it than that. you got to move. you got to make sure that you're in the right lanes. And if, you, if you're lax at all, you're just going to open up holes. Uh, what was the, the learning curve like for this group once they realized this is no joke, like this is a real defense that you're going to have to work at? I, I think the biggest, well, you know, first of all, it was, you know, the kids busted their butts, new coach, new system, learning it. Uh, we go out our first game in an exhibition game, and they make 15 threes. <laughs> and so, you know, like, when does the belief come? When does the, you know, because everything's about belief. And, you know, when's this, you know, it, it looks good in practice, but can it be executing game? And we just kept working at it, working at it, working at it. We made a huge change by putting Matisse Thibel at the top of the zone after one of our exhibition games and put Jalen down on the bottom. And Matisse, we call him Deion Sanders. He's just, you know, it's that activity. But it's just you never know how quick they're going to learn it. You never know how quick they're going to buy into it. And from the beginning of the year, uh, you can just see their maturation in that area and now their belief. And, you know, if you look at the percentages, we've done a heck of a job as the season progressed. So I got to give them a lot of credit for not only the, the, like what Dom said about how hard they're working at it, but also, um, you know, their belief that they have in it. Noah Dickerson has had a great year. So is obviously Noel. What did you discover about the offensive abilities of this crew that, you know, could, could really complement the way they've now started to defend? I just think the biggest thing, Andy, is having a guy that you can go to in the post that can score. And uh, in every big game that we've played, he's, you know, how many guys in the country can, can pull a double team? You know, so he gets the double team and everybody else is playing four versus three. And, you know, he's last year he was, you know, he turned it over a lot. This year he's been passing out of it, uh, making teams pay for it. And then when they play man-to-man, he's able to score. And he's been able to score not only against uh, 
you know, Kansas, but Arizona and the big guys. He just has that knack, uh, has a good feel around around the basket. And the biggest bonus is he's making his free throws. So, you know, when you have a big guy that can score in the post, you know, he'll make his foul shots as well as being able to assist out. That's a huge advantage. Why, and it looks great now, but when you think back, why do you think Washington was the right fit for you to finally leave Syracuse? It had the, the three Ps, uh, people, place, potential. And, uh, you know, number one, I've always believed it's one of the things that made the Syracuse family so great. It's all about the people. And, you know, you go through this thing and, you know, Jen Cohen was just thought our values aligned and what she, you know, envisioned for the basketball program. I loved her. My, I don't know if you know, my dad grew up, you know, here, went to school here. I did not know that. Yeah, 10 minutes down the road. My mom was born here. I used to vacation here. And then, uh, you know, the place, you know, it's one of the most beautiful places on planet Earth. Uh, great place to raise a family. Great city. Uh, housing market's a little expensive, but other than that, it's the best. And then potential. Uh, you know, you look at, uh, you know, six, seven years ago, they were in the Sweet 16, having a lot of success. The campus academically is incredible, and the in-state talent. I mean, pro, 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 pro. So it had all the pieces, people, place, and potential, and what you know I've determined uh, that that it's going to take for me to be successful in a program like this. And when you look back, I mean, you had other opportunities. Uh, do, do you ever think about, boy, I'm glad I waited for this, or you know, I, I could be somewhere else by now? You know what's funny is I always go back, and you know, the the being at Syracuse for so long, and being a year away from, from taking it over and being around, you know, everybody was like, oh, you're there for, for so long and all the jokes, you know what I mean? Like, oh, what have you been coaching, waiting for 19 years? You know, like <laughs> it was all the, the jokes. But the reality of it was is when you get a chance to learn from a legend every day and then the opportunity to, you know, that allowed me to be with USA Basketball for eight years. And so you're learning from, you know, two of the greatest coaches of all time, uh, young NBA coaches and Coach Thibodeau and Monty Williams and Dan, Coach D'Antoni and Nate McMillan. And, you know, you're with, watching Jerry Colangelo uh, manage and produce uh, a culture of USA basketball that's held to one of the highest standards of, you know, any organization. And it was, you know, I was going to Harvard for, for basketball. I was going to Harvard, you know, uh, grad school. And uh, wouldn't trade it for the world. And it's really prepared me for this opportunity and, uh, you know, it's been a blessing. The zone principles that you learned from, from Jim Beheim, and we talked about, you know, the movement, but what are some of the, the basics that if a coach is listening and say, you know what, I want to play like that, but uh, I'm not quite sure, you know, how you get it done? What would you tell them? A big, a, a big thing uh, is, you know, when the ball gets in the high post, our guards go out, where traditionally – you know, when the ball gets into the paint, everybody sucks in and then you kick out. And so we, we just, it's just different. It's the hardest uh, part of that is that you're teaching kids something against the grain of their normal movement that they've been taught for, you know, 15 years of their life. But that's something that's different. And the one thing that made, you know, co makes Coach Bayham so great is, and what I've learned is, is the, the zone is always evolving. Uh, the zone was different than when I played than, uh, you know, when we started playing an exclusive to four years after that. It was always designed and built around how teams are starting to change, to evolve, to try to beat it. 
So it ends up being like an amoeba form. And the one fun thing about it is for me is it's like I, you know, uh, when I got this job, it was like, uh, you know, all the things that you've learned from these coaches. It's like we're going to be the old BASF commercials. Mm -hmm. We don't make the products you buy. We make the products you buy better. And so it's just like it's replicating it. And then based on your personnel, you know, how are we going to play it? And so that's what makes it fun is it can evolve, it can change, and I think that's what makes it difficult for opposing teams. You know, it's funny you say that because, you know, I thought the Pac-12 Network did a nice job toward the end of that game with Roxy Bernstein and Mike Montgomery about showing how Arizona was getting that shot in the middle, yeah. um, you know, that free throw line area at the top of the key. And you guys, yeah, you were, you know, you're extending out rather than collapsing in and people couldn't hit it. And as Dominic yeah. was telling me, he's like, it's a shot people don't practice, and they're almost like wide-eyed, like, whoa, I'm wide open, and then it goes right, it goes left, it goes you know, off the rim. Well, the, the hardest thing, Andy, is seeing it go in because you're going, uh, I've built a high tolerance for uh, you know, allowing that shot. But you know what? In every game, it's different. It goes back to we can take that away. It goes back to in any type of defense, man-to-man zone, one-three-one, whatever it is, what are we going to try to take away, and what are we willing to give up? Because you can't take away everything. And so uh, I think that's what makes it fun, and that's what makes it different. You could watch and say, okay, you're going to get in the high post, and then our next game, based on who we're playing, we might take it away. And so um, that's where uh, it's not just the traditional 2-3 zone, like you're playing Little League baseball, and you're going, hey, batter, batter, hey, batter, batter, swing. You know, you're trying to take things away trying to make them trying to figure out like a Rubik's cube. And then another thing that coach Beheim I learned, you know, what's, what's, what's his genius was his adjustments that he could make on the fly. And, and that's where the learning curve came with our program is how quick can they learn these new things? Because you don't want to give them too much where they don't become good at anything. And these guys have been able to adapt, get better, grow, believe. And now they'll make plays that are against what I'm teaching them. And they're making plays based on their feel now and their gut. And that's when it becomes really good. You know, it's funny. I, I think back to the nine games that you had to sub for Coach Beheim, and the judgments that may or may not have been made, you know, in an impossible situation, which clearly were incorrect if they were on the negative side. Yeah. But what did that what did those nine games do for you? It was it was, uh, you know, it was a I got to test drive the Tesla, you know. And at a high level. And, uh, you know, I just learned. It was just a great experience, you know, understand. It goes back to even the coaching thing. You know, you, you lose a couple games or, you know, there's so many variables that people don't understand. But you learn the reality of it is, is people aren't going to all always love you or they're going to judge you uh, based on, you know, winning five of the games or, you know, losing at Miami who's 12th in the country or Pittsburgh who we'd have trouble with, you know, like they just judge you. It's just part of the business. And being in that seat, you see the scrutiny that's put on and right, wrong, true or false. It's just is what it is. But I also learned that, you know, you just, you know, it's, it's life is short, be happy, be excited to coach, try to inspire the kids and manage the process. And that's one of the going through that experience really got me to think like, gosh, I would love to have my own program. And if the right place happened, I just love to go do this thing and how I would want to do it, you know, and you're doing it. 
And, uh, and I'm you know, doing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one last thing before we let you go, Mike. Um, I've been there a couple times, been years, and I want to go back. But uh, I've always thought your home court in Seattle, now your home court, um, is one of the best when you're rocking, when it's packed. Uh, and you got a taste of that, obviously, against Arizona. Uh, how would you describe that atmosphere with what you've experienced, obviously, for years in the Big East and the ACC? Well, you know what? The great thing when you got, you know, in the Big East when I played, it was, you know, you were playing in all the pro arenas, you know, so it was different. When we moved to the ACC, you're playing in a lot of college venues, you know, Cameron Indoor, North Carolina, away, you know, you're playing in the smaller, more intimate college environments. And there's something about that that makes it special. And, uh, you know, doing my research about this job and seeing, the past tradition and the love of the, the sport of basketball and the, and what it's like at the home court. People I talk to, oh, my God, it's the best home court. The fans are brutal. It's awesome. The students love it. And uh, you felt it, man. You know, when, when you go to a game and as a player, obviously I've been in a part of some great games, but as a coach, when you feel it, you know, you feel the energy. It's, it's like almost all these, these people are, are creating this nuclear bomb of energy uh, that's just about to explode, and that's what you felt at these last couple of games. Even the Washington State game, it was, you know, it was electric. It was fun. It was passionate. And the stops, like Arizona, right? Where our front line is Noah Dickerson, six seven. At you know, not all the time, but in a certain part of the game, Jalen Noel six three six four, and Dominic Green six 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 seven. And you're going against seven footers, and you've got to get a stop and retain the rebound. And our crowd, we were getting out rebound the whole game. We got our last, I think, last three rebounds. And I really believe when that crowd is juicing you the way that they juiced us, it almost gives you, you know, superhuman ability in a way. Because it's like I said, I don't know, you know, I don't know if I, to tell you to box out or what. We just got to get the ball. Like, what, you know, like, what do you got to do? And it was like they found ways. And, I, you know, the way the crowd was, man, was just – thinking that this could be one of the best home courts, if not one of the best co- home courts in the country, if we could do that every night. So future's bright, and it's a lot of fun. Well, Mike, we appreciate you taking some time to join us, and uh, it's just been a joy to watch your development at UW, and uh, I think it's great for the Pac-12 and the sport to have Washington be uh, highly relevant yet again. Thanks, Mike. You're the best, Andy. Thank you for having me on. And when we come back here on March Madness 365, I'll be joined by... South Florida assistant coach Tom Harrion. We're going to discuss all the work that he's doing to raise awareness about autism. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, South Florida assistant head coach Tom Harrion. And Tom, I wanted to bring you on to the show to talk about a cause that is near and dear to your heart, your good friend Towson head coach Pat Scary, because the two of you really anchored a cause for coaches in college basketball to draw awareness to autism. And this has been going on where, wherever you've coached and you've coached at various spots. Uh, you've really championed this as well as Pat has. Uh, so first of all, tell us if you can a little bit about your family situation, about you know how, how you decided, you know what, based on my son's condition, I want to make sure that awareness is brought to autism. Well, first, thanks for having me, Andy, and we uh, obviously greatly appreciate you taking the time to uh, share our, our project, 
uh, in your venue. So, yeah, as you touched on, you know, it's obviously very dear to my my family and I, our heart, uh, our daily lives, uh, having a child who is on the autism spectrum, my son, Robert, who's now 12 years old, along with, as you said, my good friend, my former assistant coach and the head coach at Towson, Pat Scary, whose son, Owen, is also on the autism spectrum. You know, for us, my wife and I, you know, we, my son was about two, two and a half years old. We were in Pittsburgh when I was with Coach Dixon and at, at the University of Pittsburgh. And when we were diagnosed and uh, that he uh, he was on the spectrum uh, with autism and for any parent, uh, that's a blow when you're when you're given news that your child has some sort of disability disorder of any sort. That's hard to uh, hard to grasp. But then. You soon, uh, like many people, um, you roll up your sleeves and you put your head down. And obviously, my, a great deal of the of the of, of the effort is through my wife on a daily basis in terms of helping move our son forward to to live that proverbial normal life. And uh, you know, the spectrum of autism is so wide ranging, Andy. And some people uh, still have don't don't have clear understanding of it. And we're blessed with my son Robert that he is very high functioning. Uh, he has some social behaviors that would probably be evident to most people but uh for the most part we're very blessed and so you know pat and i this is our fifth year now with coaches powering forward for autism and uh we we kind of flew by the seat of our pants initially just the two of us trying to figure out a way to help create awareness for autism and the impact that it has on so many people well beyond our two families uh, it is the fastest growing behavioral disorder in our society, Andy. One in 68 children are diagnosed with autism. So it's, uh, it has a, a, a wide-ranging impact and uh, millions of people around the world that, that, that face the struggles and, and, and some of the obstacles that, that come with autism. You know, one thing that I think behind the scenes people don't really grasp is uh, when coaches move around, you know, you can't just take any job for a number of reasons. And one of them is... You have to make sure that, in your case, that you're in a school system, mm-hmm. that whether or not they mainstream those that have autism or on the spectrum or there are enough programs in that city. And, mm-hmm. you know, you've bounced around, obviously, as you said, from Pitt to College of Charleston to Marshall to Georgia Tech to South Florida. And I may have the order out, out of order here, TCU at one point. Right. Um, but uh, how, how much did that factor in? to your path to making sure that, you know, you were going to find the right fit because it had to, to work for your family. There's no doubt about that. It's a, a great point that you make. And, it, you know, not only for us, and, and I know for Pat, but also uh, there's so many other folks in the coaching industry who have reached out to me and talked directly about that, you know, and, 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 and the, the awareness that you have as a family that wins for whatever reasons uh, you decide you're trying to make a career move or a job opportunity in a new position, a new, new city the, that, you know, it's not just let's pick up and go, or I'm going to go ahead of you and, and, and we'll figure it out later. Like, like maybe some can the first thing you do in terms of uh, relocation it, for us is what school system, what services, how strong are they? And, my wife does a great job in, in, in trying to put all those things in, in, in order before we make decisions. And, and I think on that note, you know, I think what gets lost and, and clearly we're not, I'm not the only one or Pat scary is not the only one, you know, this is 26 years as a head or assistant coach coaching basketball at the college level, Andy. And like every coach in the country, I think over those 26 years, I've tried to do a great job of taking care of other people's children 
as a as, as a coach. And sometimes you forget that you've got, you know, you've got the challenge of, uh, of not only just having a family, but then when you have a, ch- a child or some a family member that has some special needs, uh, you got to make sure you, you you take care of your own home. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that gets lost a lot in that. There's no doubt the no balance doubt. of yes, you know, so often a coach ends up spending more time with, as you said, other people's mm-hmm. children than his own, and the burden, if you can share with me a little bit. What's the burden like for the spouse that, you know, in in a normal situation, uh, and maybe, forgive me if I'm using that word, but mm-hmm. in a traditional situation, there's incredible stress and, you know, and a burden, if you will, if a spouse has to take on almost the majority of the load. Now add on, you know, a child who needs even more attention. What's that like? It's a great challenge. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it falls on our wives or our spouses or our, or whomever has a significant other in, in any case, you know, because of the nature of our business. And, you know, well, obviously, uh, day in and day out, what a coach, a head or an assistant coach at, at that high, high, you know, high major or any level of coaching, um, the engrossment that we have on a daily basis, not just coaching your team, but recruiting and traveling. So that burden does fall a lot on the shoulders of my wife and, and you said a traditional slash normal, you know, it, you know, it's a, a child going to going to school, private or public, and you know, without any 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 disabilities or any special needs, you know, do they have an after school? Well, for us, it's you know, it's not only making sure that you know in, daily in, in, from an educational standpoint, but then it's all the resources that you need to put in place outside of the daily academic school day occupational therapy, physical therapy for some, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, linguistic stuff for, for children that struggle with, with, the, with their language or, or their vocabulary and stuff. So it is a, an immense, uh, immense task. But again, uh, you know, we talk about it in our circles. We do want our children to know that they truly are special. They're not different. But they are special, and uh, I know that's how we we teach our son, and uh, and sometimes uh, it gets lost. But but our, my wife, uh, for us, does it does yeoman's work, and uh, she's she's the she's the she's the head coach of our group when it comes to this. I can tell you that. What about the stress that that can put on you, the coach? That you lose a game, you're upset, you're feeling that you know there's pressure from the administration or the fan base, and, you know, when you go home, maybe something didn't go right and that there can be that added stress on the home front too. How did you, how were you able to manage that? It's a, it's a delicate balance. Uh, and I think the older you get, the older you get, you have better perspective and, 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 and you know, you try to have that balance because when you walk in that door, you know, you know, that's the real deal. Um, you know, and now what I do for a living helps create the means that are, help us live the lifestyle and put in, put in place some of the things that we need to have to help our son move, continue to move forward and progress as we deal with uh, the effects of autism for us on a daily basis as a family and he as a child and as he's becoming a growing older and older. So, um, but you have, you know, it, it's clearly put a lot of things in perspective for me. And like I said, over the years, I've been very, very fortunate. The game has been really good to me on a personal level uh, in terms of the opportunities that I've had some have ended better than others, but I've been very blessed uh, to be a head coach for eight years and have a lot of success and worked for three guys and three guys only as an assistant coach. It's funny that people think, you know, you bounced around a little bit as an assistant, but I've only worked for three guys in Pete Gillen, 
uh, Jamie Dixon and Brian Gregory now currently. And yeah, so I forgot we, Virginia. Been, I'm sorry, I forgot yeah, Virginia. <laughs> yeah, 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 my man Pete, uh, who's my god, my my son's godfather. So it's uh, you know I, I, I've I've been very very lucky, but as I've gotten older, you you gain greater. There's no doubt about the fact that you gain gain greater perspective, and the losses or the the pressures that you've talked about uh, wherever we have been or you know and they exist on a, you know in, in our in our profession as you well know um, uh, wherever you are, and it's helped us to. Uh, uh, have better balance in our lives as as we've gotten older and understand that uh, there's there's you know there's a lot of other things that are as uh, that can be more important when you when you when you step back and, and do an inventory on your own personal life. Now, Tommy, uh, you know when Jim Calhoun was coaching at UConn, he wore the uh, puzzle piece pin that is the symbol of autism, and, and that was near and dear to his heart mm-hmm. to draw attention to it. But you guys have taken it, and that was great. But you guys have yep. taken it to Another level. Tell us about uh, what you've tried to do here in, in the middle of February with uh, college basketball. Yeah, so so this will be again. This will be our fifth year um, that we picked a, a weekend in the middle of uh, of the heart of college basketball, and our, our goal initially was to target like uh, about thirty games the first year, Andy, of, of teams that were going to be on national television. And we were we had no idea. We were just going to Pat and I ourselves without any help at the time. We just kind of directly solicited, hey, would you would you coach K or, you know, again, we targeted the, the, the TV games. Would you be kind enough to wear a pin and the overwhelming support and willingness by our coaching fraternity? And you're talking about whether it was rock stars like some of the names of Calipari and self and. Uh, the who's who's to uh, guys playing in the, you know in, in the lower lower levels. The overwhelming support was truly amazing, and unbelievably humbling for us. And now it's morphed into as we speak today, heading into our weekend uh, this weekend coming. We have almost 450 to 500 different programs of different levels: Division One, Division Two, high school, junior college that have signed up to participate. So it really has been an incredible growth. And the, again, the support that we get across the board for Pat and I, it's, uh, it's become very humbling and, and so appreciative uh, that everyone on this weekend, the 9th to the 11th, and you'll see it via the coaching staffs, a lot of the different TV personalities that, that work the games will be wearing the blue uh, Autism Speaks puzzle piece pin on the lapels of their jackets, et cetera, to, to represent their support in us helping to gain, to gain awareness for autism, which I said obviously is uh, the fastest growing disorder in our uh, behavioral disorder in our society as, as a whole. Well, Tommy, I, I just so appreciate you, you spending some time to share some of your personal story. And, uh, you know, I hope everyone that uh, watches games over the course of the weekend sees the Autism Speaks puzzle piece and pauses and to think. And more than anything, I know I, I can just speak personally as a parent. You know, I, I loved the fact that at my children's elementary school, you know, anyone that was on the spectrum was mainstreamed at our elementary school. Yep. And I know it, it helped my kids, you know, appreciate and have even more tolerance for those that that uh, that have that disorder, um, and and some of these, you know, a couple of the kids that I I remember my my kids' classes were just absolutely just the sweetest, most wonderful human beings, and I have some of my fondest memories of of meeting those kids when I'd go to you know whether it was a field trip or just picking my kids up at school, and to this day, 
you know, uh, I know there's this one, one young child named Ben who always reaches out to me anytime I see him and just, uh, you know, makes me smile because he's got such a great personality. So, you know, it's just wonderful what you're doing and you and your wife and Pat and his wife and everyone else involved in, in drawing awareness to it. I appreciate that. And I think you just hit on the last thing I will say. The next component for us on top of the awareness is what you said is acceptance and helping educate people to understand, have a better understanding of what autism is and how it affects children, families, and the acceptance that you have in our society for children that have some special needs, whether it's autism or any other uh, behavioral disorder or deficiency of any sort. I think you touched on that from a personal standpoint, we, and, and, and that's a big piece as we move forward is not only awareness, but also acceptance. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we're making some uh, progress in that, and uh, that's been a big part for us. And uh, I appreciate you sharing some of your own uh, uh, personal stories or uh, how, it, how it affects uh, your kids as they've been around and have been exposed to kids because uh, they're not any different. They're just a little bit different, a little, a little bit more special. Well, thanks, Tommy. Danny, thanks. And also, congrats. It's great to have you uh, impacting our game so much so much now as you are with your new, your new endeavor. So congratulations on that. All right. Thank you. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. You can follow my work on NCAA.com, on Twitter at TheAndyCats, on Instagram at TheRealAndyCats. And of course, follow all the coverage that we have on a daily and weekly basis at NCAA.com as well as our March Madness Twitter app. We want to hear what you think of the podcast. We want to make sure you can download it wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, on Apple, on iTunes. Let us know what you think. And yet, once again, thanks for listening. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams. And you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.